Well, we are back tonight to consider the fourth section of J.C. Ryle's A Call to Prayer. It's been a great study thus far, going through the first three sections of this classic work, and I pray that tonight will be equally as encouraging as our past lessons were. Um, I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer as we get started, but after I pray, I would like for a volunteer to read from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And there will be a question for group discussion as we consider that text. But who would like to read that, though, after I pray to get us started? All right. Let me pray. 14 to what? Yeah, 14 to 21. So I'll, I'll pray, and um, Seth, you can read that text. And um, I'll go ahead and tell you all the questions so you all can be mindful of. The question that we're going to consider is as follows. What are some aspects of Paul's prayer in Ephesians three fourteen to 21 that personally bring you great encouragement? This section of Ryle's work is titled, Prayer Produces Great Encouragement. This is one of the most encouraging prayers that we find recorded in the New Testament. So after I pray and after Seth reads... We don't have those questions? Or what? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, they're not in the handout. Oh, okay. Yeah, no worries. Um... We're going to consider, though, the question of what in that prayer brings you great encouragement. So let me pray, and then we'll read the inspired prayer of Paul and jump into our lesson. Lord God, what a joy it is tonight to be with your people, to encourage one another, to find the encouragement that prayer provides our souls with. Father, forgive us for neglecting prayer. Forgive us for undermining and undervaluing prayer in our individual lives and in our corporate worship expressions here at FBC Edna. And really just as we see throughout American Christianity, Lord, prayer is, is, is so undervalued and so neglected. And Lord, we, we need to be reminded of not just the power of prayer, but also the encouragement that prayer provides us with. I pray that tonight's lesson would do just that, that we would leave here encouraged by the theology of prayer, but also uh, during the times in which we pray together, that we would feel experientially within our soul just a deep-rooted encouragement that your Spirit provides us with. Lord, we ask now, um, as we look to the text that we're going to be looking to from Ryle and also the inspired, word, uh, the inspired words that your Holy Spirit superintended the human authors of Scripture to write, we ask, Lord, you'd give us wisdom to accurately understand these truths that we're going to be considering and then also, Lord, as we leave this place, to be transformed by them, to rightly apply them to our lives, and as we have opportunities to share these truths with those you've placed in our lives. We love you, God, and we thank you for this study. May it be pleasing in your sight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Seth, whenever you're ready, kick us off from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. It says, Prayer for Spiritual Strength. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, so we've, we've read that passage together. Again, that is one of many prayers that Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit within the New Testament, and all of the prayers that I've encountered from Paul are rich in theology, they're rich in praise. But uh, this one particularly stands out to me as a very God-centered prayer. Um, and I'll, I'll give you some of my observations from this prayer that we can see in the text. But in the meantime, um, I want to hear from y'all. What aspects of this prayer that we just read stands out to you as being encouraging? Yeah, it's a good observation. Yes, I. What do you like about verse sixteen? That idea of being strengthened by the Holy Spirit brings you encouragement. Any other thoughts about this passage? I think it's hard to pick a specific verse, but 17, you know, so that Christ can dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, Mm. you know, if you read that idea like in the reverse if you're rooted and grounded in love Christ will be dwelling in your heart through faith absolutely that's rich very encouraging that you would have to have those things in tandem yeah there's there's a connection and inseparability between those realities I think that's great any other thoughts on this passage that stand out to you just as we're about to get into Ryle here Well, as I noted, um, for me, as I was making preparation for tonight, I I wrote just some cursory observations from this text, and um, I'm just going to read from my notes here, just noting the God-centeredness of this prayer. I think this prayer is, is thoroughly, the, the theological term is theocentric or God-centered, um, and, and let me explain how I came to that conclusion here, and I'll walk you through literally each verse from verse 15 down, because uh, verse 14 is just the address, right? So verse 15, um, I noted that God is the source of every human family, right? Look at verse 15, from God, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So heavenly beings, human beings, God is the source. Um, he creates and sustains his creatures, whether it be heavenly creatures, 
or earthly creatures. He creates and sustains all of his creatures for his own purposes and for his own glory. So God's the source of those created families, whether it be in heaven or on earth. Verse 16, God is the source of the believer's strength of the Christian life. Verse 16, Paul's praying that God would grant to you, Ephesian Christians, the riches, according, excuse me, according to the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, God dwelling in the hearts of man depends upon faith, which Paul says back in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2, that faith is ultimately a gift from God. So, so God's the source of heavenly and earthly families. He's the source of spiritual strength for the believer. He's also in taking verse 17 in conjunction with what Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians 2 and, of course, in other parts of the New Testament. God is also the source of, of love and of faith and how those realities, as Samantha pointed out, are inseparably connected. Verse 18 and verse 19 taken together. God is the one who is able to make believers aware of the reality of his love within their own soul. So that's what verses 18 and 19 are telling us. Look at it again. That we, or the Ephesians, of course, and we by extension, would be able to comprehend with all the saints universally what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. That's just Paul saying the totality. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, that you in your soul will have an experiential realization of God's love for you in Christ. God is the source of that reality in the soul of his people. That feeling of God's love that he has for you, that awareness of that love he has for you, and your own affections, your own love for God, God is the one who has given that to you as a gift of his grace. Um, and then verse 20. God has no limitations to what he can accomplish, both in terms of his governing over all of created reality and in terms of what he is able to accomplish on behalf of his people. Note verse 20 again. Paul, this is just a benediction here. Now to him, God, to God, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, God is able to do far more abundantly than anything we could ever imagine. He has no limitations. In verse 21, the capstone, God is the one who deserves to receive all glory from creatures. And on the last day and into eternity future, it is God and God alone who will receive all glory, honor, praise, and exaltation. Verse 21 to capstone, everything Paul's prayed for in this section, he says, Now to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God is the one who gets the glory. Um, I mean, this is all about God. And really, um, I think it's important, it's biblical, certainly, and Ryle's going to touch on this in this section, it's biblical and important to pray for one another. It's biblical and important to pray for ourselves. But fundamentally, I want to say that just after just judging this prayer in its context, I think if we would direct our minds and hearts to the living God more and more, how he's revealed himself in creation, how he's revealed himself in scripture, if we would meditate on those realities and pray those realities back to God, we would experience great encouragement within our souls. And I, I just wanted to, by way of introduction tonight, kind of get our minds there before we dive into what Ryle's going to say here in this 
section. Did anybody have any thoughts or questions about any of that before we, we start reading here? I was just going to mention that I like verse 22 that uh, says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly mm-hmm. than all that we can ask or think. Yeah. And just... And notice he throws in that power is working within us, right? Yeah. Like God, the power of God that, think about this, like not to get too off topic, but Ezekiel 36, the valley of dry bones. And that is a picture of, of who we were before we came to know Christ. We were, as it were, just a, a, a dead corpse. We had no ability to seek God, to please God, to honor him, but God breathed life into us through the power of regeneration. He resurrected us from spiritual death and he made us alive in Christ so that now we love him, we serve him, we worship him, we tell others about him. That is that power of God that has worked in us in salvation and is continuing to work in us in sanctification. And one day we will be glorified by that same power. So, very, very great text. Would take a while to preach that prayer if it was done right. Um, that's why Lloyd-Jones preached like 200 and some sermons on the book of Ephesians alone. Um, it's remarkable. A lot of rich theology there. But anyways, moving on now to Ryle. Section 4, prayer produces great encouragement. I'm going to read from the line, God is ready to the question, is not this encouragement? Right there, I think it's the third paragraph on your page. Um, I would like if I could get two volunteers to read the, the, the other two paragraphs there when we come to them. Um, there's going to be a question that I'm going to pose for us to consider before those um, paragraphs, but just to get ahead of the game, would somebody be willing to read the paragraph that begins with, there is an advocate? With Sam, okay, great. And in the last paragraph, there is the Holy Spirit. Who would be, Sai, thank you, buddy. Before I could even get the question out. I love the, love the um, willingness to participate. The eagerness to participate, exactly. So, God is ready. Ryle, he writes the following. I ask whether you pray, because prayer is an act in religion to which there is great encouragement. There is everything on God's part to make prayer easy, if men will only attempt it. All things are ready on his side. Every objection is anticipated. Every difficulty is provided for. The crooked places are made straight and the rough places are made smooth. There is no excuse left for the prayerless man. There is a way by which any man, however sinful and unworthy, may draw near to God the Father. Jesus Christ has opened that way by the sacrifice he made for us upon the cross. The holiness and justice of God need not frighten sinners and keep them back. Only let them cry to God in the name of Jesus Only let them plead the atoning blood of Jesus, and they shall find God upon a throne of grace, willing and ready to hear. The name of Jesus is a never-failing passport for our prayers, and in that name a man may draw near to God with boldness and ask with confidence. God has engaged to hear him. Think of this. Is not this encouragement? There is an advocate. Oh yeah, I was gonna I was gonna go on to a question, but uh, yeah, we're just gonna pause really quickly because I, I really wanted us to think uh, about. There's a lot we could say there, um, but one thing that stood out to me, and if y'all have other observations like that, the way this works is if y'all have questions about what he's saying, anything that I say, or if you make an observation, 
please share. If our scripture comes to mind, please, please share. But my question for us to think about in light of those three paragraphs is this. In light of what Ryle has argued in these paragraphs, why is it so blasphemous for people to say that we can't pray directly to God? What does such a notion insinuate about Christ's work? That, that notion of we've got to pray through a priest or through a, a dead saint or some other medium in order to come to God. Why, why is that such a heretical and blasphemous claim, a serious uh, false claim that we need to speak to intelligently as Christians? Sai? Like we went to a friend of ours, mother's funeral, and they were Catholic, so we went to our first Mass. And like it was all Hail Mary, Mother of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the guy sounds so exasperated after it's the same thing over and over again. Like, there's no soul in this. Right. There's no real love for God in that. Just this rote repetition, mindless words <laughs> coming out. Now, why do you think? Why do you think though? Um, and, and I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Um, Roman Catholicism is one of the the cults that I had in mind in the, in this section and in, in this question. But why do you think it's so wrong? Like why do why should we care? Why is this not just something we can agree to disagree on? I was gonna say I think it's because like us us saying that we need to pray through someone else just says that Jesus was enough. That's exactly right. That is exactly right, Hannah. To say that man needs to approach God in prayer in any other way than direct communication is to undermine the finality insufficiency of Christ's work. It's to say that Jesus did everything he could, but he's still got to do some things to come before God. You, you, you still got to go to keep, uh, you, you got to partake in penance. You got to partake in the mass. You've got to go to a priest. You've got to pray to Mary. You've got to pray to other saints who have passed away because we really can't come before God. But notice what Ryle on the testimony of Scripture is saying here, and we're going to look at some other verses that confirm this in a minute, but just in this paragraph, look what he says. He says, There is a way by which any man, however sinful and unworthy, may draw near to God the Father, and it is Jesus Christ who has opened that way by the sacrifice he has made for us upon the cross. Like Jesus on the cross. Think about it. He said, y'all all know the Greek term, I'm sure by now, to telestai. It is finished, paid in full. He meant that. With every fiber in his being, he drank the full cup of God's wrath on the cross so that his people would never have to experience any of God's wrath and they would be welcomed into his presence as an adopted child, whether son or daughter, to pray to him, to worship him, and someday to be in his kingdom face to face. So, to say that, we need to go through some intermediary, whether it be a deceased saint or a priest or, or any other kind of obstacle that we've got to go through before we can go to God, it's blasphemous. It completely undermines the sufficiency and finality of what Christ accomplished in his death. Sam? I think like, it was so sufficient that after the resurrection, we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And then in Romans 8, I, I almost think of like, you have no excuse because 
Romans 8, it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Mm-hmm. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's right. What excuse do you have? You literally have the triune God in your being mm-hmm. that would help you with any form of communication. And to act as though you have some power greater than that that you need to figure out on your own. Right. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And I mean, I think Ryle, we don't have a proof text here, but when he says there is no excuse left for the prayerless man, right off the heels of him going into explanation of how God has, he's done everything on his part to make prayer easy and accessible for those who belong to him. Ryle's saying, God's done everything. You need only Come before him in prayer. You, there, there is no excuse, as you pointed out. So that's, I think that's a great insight, Sam. Any other thoughts on, on this before we, we continue here? I think uh, one step further is after they confide in whoever they're confiding to, it's then what they're told to uh, make a make like penance. Tone, yeah. penance, like a tone penance other than ask forgiveness and try to do your best to walk in God's sure. graces again. Right. Not do this, do that, do this. Yeah. Yeah, just say 10 Hail Marys and a few mm-hmm. uh, a few repetitions of the sinner's prayer and you know, that ought to be fine to keep you out of purgatory mm-hmm. too long, right? I mean, that that's essentially what 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 you're left with. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no intimacy and that that gets to what size mm-hmm. talking about. We talked about this last couple of weeks now. Prayer is intimate communion with God. That That's what we're actually saying. When we talk about prayer, when I talk to you right now, when I'm praying, that's literally what I'm doing with God. Though I don't see him with the outer eye on the basis of his self-revelation scripture, I know that he hears and that um, it is real communication with him, just like it's real communication with y'all. That's why I'm a big advocate of praying out loud during my own individual prayer times, because my natural way of communication is verbal, right? I mean, I'm not saying you can't pray in your mind. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying, though, for me is I want to mimic communication with y'all as much as I would want to do it with God. Or maybe I should say like this. I want to mimic, um, I, want to, I want to give to God in my communication with him what I'm ultimately putting forth with you guys. Um, just so it's real, it's authentic. My mind and my heart is engaged in it. Um, that's just something that, that has helped me in the past and... I try to do that on a regular basis. I also find it easier to pray out loud that way because if you're trying to just pray in your head, I mean, it's very easy to get distracted. Distracted. Just thinking the squirrels are really loud. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the only time I can think of that I really don't pray out loud when I'm by myself is if I'm just so exhausted, like talking out loud. It's just, it's a struggle at that point. I'll, I'll, do it in my mind, but more often than not, I'm, I'm verbalizing my prayers. It just helps me stay focused. And again, it, it just makes it more real. Not to say it's not real when it's in your mind, but you're, you're communicating outwardly in that respect. So great thoughts, guys. That kind of Ephesians three fourteen. it says, for this reason, I, I, uh, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. And it's like that physical act of, yeah. in my head, you know, you bow your knees, you're going to pray out loud. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you're that physical act. Like when you said, you bow your knees before the Father, not before, like, Mary. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's that's right, brother. Or a Pope. Or a, pope or, or a priest or whoever, you know. It's really, like, not to, like, keep going on this tangent with it, but, like, it disturbs me that 
like, the whole confession thing and, like, penance and stuff, like, clearly Jesus isn't, like, a part of that to them. But the fact that, like, like you said, there's no, like, repentance. It's, like, Hail Mary's. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't die on the cross and raise from the dead. Yeah. Well, I do believe that she, they, they do believe that, that she actually did not, like, die physically. Like, she was bodily assumed into heaven. So, there, it's, there's a lot of issues there. But, uh. There we go. This is very sad, though, because I didn't realize that the rosary was, the way that he kept verbalizing it was like, we were praying her into heaven. Mm. Like. It was just, it was so sad. There's a lot, yeah, it's, it's a lot of tradition. That's the problem with tradition is, especially when it's a tradition over thousands of years, is it gets really hard to distinguish one tradition from another, and then you start intermingling and contradicting, and it gets confusing, and before you know it, you've, you've just got man-made religion at that point, not biblical Christianity. I kind of want to point out like if you're going to confessions it's more like a a rule a duty you say this you do that but then as believers we have like when somebody else is going to pray for me out loud like that i feel like it's the same thing but totally different scales like it's not a, a list of duties that i have to do it's this friend who loves me who knows our god is going to pray for me on my behalf right. because i can't find the words you know right and so it's well, so like, I don't know how there's a difference between praying for or asking for pr- praying for one another, asking for prayer from somebody else. But what's happening with the priest is you are not you are not able in Roman Catholic theology to go to God directly. You need an intermediary. Yeah, Christ played a part in that, but the Father he he, he hates sin, and we're and we're not. Remember, they don't teach justification by imputation. Christ's righteousness is not imputed to to the believer. It's infused in the soul. So we all know in our soul that there's a lot of sin left over, right? And in Roman Catholic theology, you're only as justified as you are sanctified. So as long as I'm not without sin, God will not allow me to come into his presence in prayer. That's why you have a priest. That's why you have the mass. That's why you have purgatory. Because you've got to purge, you've got to purge the residues of sin that has not been removed. Because again, they rightly, they rightly understand that God cannot approve uh, the passage in Habakkuk 1. I think it's, let me pull it up. You remind me, I think it's 113, might be 116. I don't want to botch it. But um, they recognize this reality. This is true, but we reach far different conclusions as a Protestant than we do as Roman Catholic. Notice this. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. That's the that that's one of the key texts there that they would go to in order to say, we see God can't approve of wickedness. Wickedness can't be in His presence in positive fellowship with God. So we recognize that we're sinners, and there's no way we can come before God because we're sinful. But as Protestants, and I would say biblically speaking, we affirm we're simultaneously justified yet sinful. That when God looks at me, because of Christ's righteousness being credited to me through faith, and my unrighteousness being credited to Christ at the cross, again, by way of faith, God's wrath is satisfied, his justice is satisfied at the cross in Christ's death. 
So justice is satisfied, paid in full. And then as a free gift of grace, I receive the perfect righteousness of Christ, which gives me access to God in total. As Paul says, Ephesians 1, 3, he's, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's in Christ that we receive access to the Father. It's not that God just arbitrarily says, you know what, like, <laughs> I'm loving, so it's okay. You can come into my presence. No, it, there is a real transaction that has taken place that God is just in the justifier. It's not an arbitrary thing that allows God to um, just have us come into his presence. Like, Jesus had to, and this is why it's so important, it wasn't enough for Jesus just to die. He had to live a perfect life. Because it takes takes absolute perfect righteousness to be in God's presence. And if Jesus didn't live a perfect life, all a death on the cross would do is bring us back to a neutral standing. It would just bring us back to where Adam and Eve were before the fall. So that's just some food for thought. We went on a good tangent there. Some really good conversations. Great, great tangent. You know me. I love them. Cy? I'm not trying to keep this tangent going, but I don't know if you and Dad heard this, but he's like, Jesus went down to hell for three days to make us righteous by our works or something. Who said that? The priest at the Catholic church there. I've heard that before. Hmm. Mm. Don't know where that one's at, but... uh, Anyways, moving on now. I guess we should move on to the next paragraph. Sam, take that away, and then, um, and then uh, Sai, you'll read the final one on that page. There is an advocate, an intercessor, always waiting to present the prayers of those who come to God through him. That advocate is Jesus Christ. He mingles our prayers with the incense of his own almighty intercession. So mingled they go up as a sweet savor before the throne of God. For as they are and in themselves, they are mighty and powerful in the hand of our high priest and elder brother. All right, really quick, Sam, stop. So Sam's about to read the rest of this paragraph. If, if you haven't read this yet or you're taking notes, star it, underline it. This, this is a picture of, of, the, of the value of Christ's work here. So Sam, read this. This is powerful stuff. The banknote without a signature at the bottom is nothing but a worthless piece of paper. The stroke of a pen confers on it all its value. The prayer of a poor child of Adam is a feeble thing in itself, but once endorsed by the hand of the Lord Jesus, it availeth much. There was an officer in the city of Rome who was appointed to have his doors always open in order to receive any Roman citizen who applied to him for help. Mm. Just so the ear of the Lord Jesus is ever open to the cry of all who want mercy and grace. It is his office to help them. Their prayer is his delight. Think of this. Is this not encouragement? I mean, that right there, guys, if that's not going to bring us to our knees to just pray and worship, I mean, this this is this is what it's about right here. It's exactly what we're just talking about. Like, Jesus is the reason why we can pray and call God our Father. It's why it's not just a formal, really rigid, ex- externalistic type expression of religion. It's intimate sincere fellowship with our Creator, and even more so our Heavenly Father. So I read that next paragraph for us, bud. It, it ends at yeah, just that, that bottom one right there on the page. There, there is the Holy Spirit ever ready to help our infirmities and prayer. It is 
one part of his special office to sit us in our endeavors to speak with God. We need not be cast down in distress by the fear of not knowing what to say. The Spirit will give us words if we seek His aid. If the prayers of the Lord's people are an inspiration of the Lord's Spirit, the work of the Holy Ghost who dwells within them as the Spirit of grace and supplication, surely the Lord's people may well hope to be heard. It is not them merely that pray, but the Holy Ghost pleading in them. Mm-hmm. Reader, think of this. Is this not an encouragement? Amen. That's exactly what you cited earlier, Sam, from the book of Romans, Romans 8, that, that assistance that the Spirit provides us with in our communion with God through prayer. Um, I wanted to to take note here of the footnotes that are right at the bottom of this page. You'll see them there. Um, three key words that Ryle uses in this section to describe how Jesus Christ makes prayer possible and also how he himself prays on behalf of his people. Those words are atoning, advocate, and intercessor. I have three texts that I want us to go to, and I want us to kind of just talk a little bit about what those texts are saying in reference to each of those three terms that Ryle's using in this section. Um, the first text uh, is First Timothy 2 verses 5 through 6, um, who would be willing to read that for us? Thanks, Hannah. Um, the next text referring to the advocating work of Christ is 1 John 2, verses 1 through 2. Can I get someone for that? You want that sign? 1 John 2, verses 1 through 2. And I'll take the third text referring to the intercessory work of Christ as found in Hebrews 7, Verses 23 to 25. So, um, Hannah, whenever you've got that passage pulled up, you can read it for us. And again, this is in reference to the um, atoning work of Christ for his people. Very good. And notice that definition. Um, Number 14 in the footnote, atoning. It says the definition that Rao gives is reconciling or restoring to friendly relations or uh, appeasing. And I want us to think about 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 in that particular light, that definition Rao provides. Um, How does this passage seem to indicate a reconciliation or restoration of, of two parties, namely between God and sinful man. What's going on here? The word mediator stands out. That's the key word, exactly, Hannah. And what do you what do you think of when you think of a mediator? I mean, like the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. I think of like two people trying to have like a conversation or like settle something, mm-hmm. and someone that needs to be there to. Yeah, somebody to bring two (coughs) hostile sides or opposing sides together, right? In order that they might settle the issue that's at hand, right? It's a very, very easily to grasp picture of of what's going on here. And that's exactly what's taking place in Christ's work. When we think of fallen man, unregenerate, unsaved man, and we think of holy God, 
they are at infinite odds with one another. Whether sin, and here's the thing: a lot of unbelievers today, they just don't even realize it. They're like, oh, like I, I like God. I'm not at odds with God. You know, I, I wouldn't call myself a Christian, but I'm spiritual. You know, I mean that that that's pretty popular today, right? Especially amongst millennials and and younger generations. But the biblical picture is like. Whether or not the sinner realizes or not, and from God's perspective, they, they are at war. They are on opposite sides of the spectrum. And what Jesus does is he brings these two diametrically opposed enemies together, and he reconciles them through his work. And of course, we know there's other dynamics. God brings the sinner from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. They respond to that work of regeneration and faith, but it's Jesus at the at the center of it all. His life, his death, his resurrection, and faith in him alone that brings those two parties together. And ultimately, because Jesus died as an atonement, we ourselves are able to be forgiven by God, the one to whom we are at war with. Does that make sense? Do you see that? So we had no access to the Holy Spirit prior to the resurrection. So, like, different there's different views on that. So, um, but I'll I'll try to summarize where I land on it. Um, I believe that God the Spirit ministers common grace to all of humanity. So there are there is instances in which God is gracious to those whom are either not saved or never will be saved. He gives them blessings. He gives them gifts. Um, he protects them possibly at certain times from. Um, harm's way, I believe, in just the general common grace of God, Matthew 5. Um, I mean, historically. Yes, I mean, so Ma- Matthew five forty five says that uh, God who is in heaven causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. So the Spirit of God externally, in, in a general universal sense, is ministering um, just good temporal blessings to all of humanity. But in terms of saving um, access to God, in terms of um, really true fellowship with God, that I, that is impossible apart from the Spirit first doing a work in the sinner. Right. Because man's spiritually dead in his natural state, and apart from the Spirit, he can't commune with God. He can't seek after God. He doesn't want God, right? Romans 3, 10 through 18, Romans 8, 7 to 8, and, and others. John 8, I read this today. Um, I know I just cited a lot of passages, but this one stood out. Listen to this. This is Jesus talking to the Jewish religious leaders. He says, verse 43, Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Then he answers, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. So, apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no spiritual, true relationship fellowship, intimacy, communion, whatever term you want to use for that. It's just, there, there's none for the unbeliever. I was just thinking on, like, 
after the resurrection that they of Pentecost. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, so um, historically, in regards to that, um, the Spirit is active the same way throughout all of human history in salvation and sanctification. Um, the difference, though, is throughout the Old Testament, very few believers are said to be spiritually empowered for a particular ministry. It's particularly the kings that had that. You think of David, Samson, some of the judges, where the Spirit would rest on them. And, and, and the terminology for that is theocratic anointing. So it's God's anointing work on a redeemed sinner to carry out a particular ministry, usually involving leadership. Um, very few individuals in Old Testament history were supernaturally gifted or equipped for a work of ministry. But on this side of Pentecost, all believers are supernaturally gifted and equipped for ministry. Um, and, and that's why Pentecost was such a big deal. Now, now that the spiritual giftedness is universal in scope, it's not just reserved to a, a select few people, particularly those in, in very public leadership type roles. So um, I, I see what you were asking now. Um, because I was thinking, like, we, it, we didn't gain access to the Holy Spirit in that way because Mary became pregnant. We, be, we gained access to that because of the work that was done. Yeah, yeah. Christ, Christ is the one who gives right, like, us that. That's why. He's the one. Yeah, exactly. So, because the Holy Spirit wouldn't be in us to save us if we had no access to the Holy Spirit. It's exa- yeah, it's exactly right. I think I initially misunderstood what you were asking, but I'm glad we got that resolved. I'm just glad we got that untangled. We got it untangled. (laughs) Any other thoughts on that, on on this idea of atonement before we move on to uh, advocating 1 John 2? I have two thoughts. Okay. One. um, You can take your time. No no rush, by the way. You can take your time. We were talking about, you know, uh, sinful... Uh, what was your two parallels? Sinful and sinful and holy. Uh-huh, uh huh. About how just we teach kids, you know, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. If you are not right with God, you are an enemy. Yeah. And I just I think we learned that just just this year. Yeah. And how uh, in Sunday school just and it's it's key to recognize it just because like in the Bible love is particularly an action towards mm-hmm. somebody. I mean, it can involve emotions, particularly in humans, but with God, it, it is always an expression of, of, of favor or temporal blessings, being long-suffering and so on. Like, even Satan and and, and fallen angels, in, in a sense, are experiencing the love of God and that he is he's prolonging judgment, final judgment that is, on the last day when they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. So God, by his own nature, is loving towards all creation. That doesn't mean that you have favor with God. Mm-hmm. And it's key that we distinguish that because a lot of times the love of God is viewed as just this blanket, doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter what I believe, I have God's favor because, I mean, look, I got a great job, I got a great family, I got X, Y, and Z blessings. Well, a lot of people receive great blessings from God, but they don't have his favor. And though he does love them, because he loves all of his creation, generally, they don't have that special, intimate, saving love, redeeming love, that's only reserved for those who have come to faith. So it's key that we make that distinction. My, my second thought was, reading this, uh, when the prayers of the Lord's people are the inspiration of the Lord's Spirit, mm. the work of the Holy Ghost. I'm often up 2 a.m., 4 a.m. regularly 
And I just know, like... I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, that's like, okay, Lord, what'd you wake me up for? Okay, well, you want to talk? Let's talk. And I'm like, by the time I'm like, why am I not falling back asleep? Like, who, who did I miss to pray for? Wow. But I didn't realize that... I know he wakes me up, because why else would you just wake up at 2 to 4 all the time? <laughs> but that my, my prayers would be guided with through the Holy Spirit, not, not just the awakening, but right. the, what comes in that two-hour time frame. Absolutely. Man, that's that's encouraging, though, to hear that you're, you're doing business with the Lord at 2 to 4 a.m., man. That's that's big do? time. By the time it's yeah. 12 o'clock, I'm hungry, man. I, I try to... I, <laughs> If it was me, I'd, I'd probably try to roll over and go back to sleep, but that, that's just me. <laughs> um, okay, second text was uh, regarding the advocating work of Christ, how he's our advocate. And again, the, the definition here in our footnotes that Ryle gives is one who pleads on behalf of sinners. So uh, who had the first John 2? Is that you, Cy? All right, go ahead and read that for us, bud. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the proportion for sins, and not for ours only, but also for those in the whole world. All right. So that, that one word is propitiation. It's a new word. It just means uh, the satisfaction. In this context, satisfying God's wrath for our sin. But, um, yeah, so we have an advocate with the Father. What do you think of with that? An advocate. I think of a defense attorney. I think of somebody who, who's going to bat for you with the judge. That's, yeah, that's what every time I, I hear the word advocate. Advocate, I think of, you know, they have cost of volunteers. They've abused children that need help right. have an advocate. And so that's somebody who needs the help. Right. That's a good, that's a good word picture there. Um, I'll have to keep that in mind. So, yeah, we have an advocate with God, guys. Um, any accusation that could be brought against us by ourselves or Satan, Jesus is right there. My work was sufficient. I have paid it in full. You have no accusations, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Romans 8.1. So important to remember there. Interceding work of Christ. That's going to be me. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, one of my favorite texts regarding this dimension of Christ's ministry that he's even doing right now. The author writes, The former priests, on the other hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So intercessor, according to Ryle in this footnote, is one who presents sinners' interests to God. And, you know, we're talking about this idea of encouragement. How encouraging is it to know that Jesus, who shares the will of Father and Holy Spirit, is praying in perfect accordance with what God wants for you, your eternal good. He is praying to that end, and in God's gracious providence, he is answering those prayers time and time and time again. And you know what? 
I can promise you Jesus prays for things that you and I would never want to pray for because they're scary and because they're counterintuitive to what we think our spiritual good would be. But Jesus prays it because he knows what's best for us. And those prayers always get answered because God is always going to accomplish his good and perfect purpose, which Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share together in what they want to accomplish in the lives of his people. So you can rest knowing, I can rest knowing that Jesus' prayers are always going to be answered. They're always going to be geared towards bringing glory to God. And they're always going to be geared towards accomplishing our spiritual good. I can't think of anything more encouraging than that in vain with everything we've been talking about. Any questions or thoughts on this before we flip the page and move forward? Yep. Yep, we're going to get there, hopefully. Um, who wants to read this top paragraph? Page 10. I'll read it. All right, buddy, go for it. Promises, right? Yes, sir. There are exceeding great and precious promises to those who pray. What did the Lord Jesus mean when he spoke such words as these? Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. What did the Lord Lord mean when he spoke the parables of the friend at midnight and the Im, importunate mm-hmm. widow? Think over these passages. If this is not encouragement to pray, words have no meaning. <laughs> so obviously those are very encouraging passages of Scripture to, to read um, and, and to take into consideration, to meditate on God's willingness to grant the prayers of his people to be answered. But um, I want us to think about the dangers that could be involved with taking these statements in and of themselves, devoid from the rest of Scripture. What are some of the dangers that we could fall into if we just simply look at these and think, well, if I'm going to pray it, God's going to give it to me. I just I got four texts right here that Ryle's given me. So... I guess I'll just ask for a Ferrari, and I'll ask for um, you know a really good paying job, and you know I'll, I'll ask for this relationship of mine that's been difficult to get better. And see, look, I mean, God's going to answer that prayer, right? Isn't that what it's saying here? What are what do you think are some dangers? And in light of this question, let me make it easier for us. Um, I'm going to read a text. I need three other readers. Matthew six ten. I get a volunteer for Matthew six ten. Sam, all right. Romans 1, verses 9 through 10. I'll read that one. And 1 John 5, 14. I'm reading 1 John, so I'll take it. All right, go for it, brother. All right, I'm going to read Luke 22, verses 39 through 44. 5, Yes, sir. Read, what were your John and Luke? 1 John what? Uh, 1 John 5, 14. And Luke? And Luke 22, 39 through 44. So Sam, read Matthew 6.10 whenever you're ready, and then I'll go to my text. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. 
So that's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaching his disciples how they ought to pray, a model of prayer for them. And as we see there, there's this concept of the will of God introduced, right? Not my will, God, but your will be done. Now, listen to this text. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus is going to be handed over um, for his arrest and for his eventual crucifixion. Verse 39, And Jesus came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Okay, so we see there again, God, not my will be done, but yours be done. Now it's taking place in that prayer. Romans 1, 9 through 10. Yes, sir. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that with, without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. All right, and you see again, what, what do we see here in this passage that we saw in those other two texts? What's that important little caveat in here that, that we're seeing now from, we've seen it from Jesus, now we're seeing it from Paul? God's will. God's will, right? And lastly, we're going to see it from John. 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence, confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Very good. So we've got so let's let's reflect now in light of the question at hand. We've got four passages which taken in and of themselves seem to indicate that if I just ask God what I want, he's going to give it to me. But now I've just given you four other passages that seem to indicate that prayer according to God's will is the posture that we need to have whenever we pray. When, and, of course, I think we could all agree. Logically, I think everybody would agree that my will might not always be what God wants, right? So what do you think we ought to do in light of all of this? We've got at least eight passages here. And we know Scripture interprets Scripture. It, it, it doesn't have any errors. It doesn't have any contradictions. So we've got to harmonize these realities. What do you guys think should be the mindset of the passages that Ryle cites when taken in consideration with the passages we just read together? How should we think about prayer in light of all of this? Ultimately, prayer is about we've talked about this before in Sunday school like mm-hmm. prayer or I mean I guess Wednesdays too like prayer doesn't change God prayer changes us so by praying for God's will to be done our heart is shifted towards that very good it's no longer like all about what I want mm-hmm. and it's about getting closer to being lined up with God's right. will that's very good insight well, prayer is also praying and, like we learned about a couple weeks ago isn't it Mm-hmm. Like we'll, we'll pray, we're also praising Him, right. thanking Him for His grace. Yeah, prayer is worship, right? It's not just a laundry list of requests, but it's also that worship, adoration of God.
feel like, I don't know if I've really noticed this, like the laundry list of like, you know, like you said, a Ferrari, like a new car, big house, like things that make our life comfortable on this temporary home. Mm-hmm. Like it's not anything that's going to, for eternity. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have any eternal value. It's yeah. just to make it this time comfortably. Yep. Well, You're exactly right. You know, after talking about Ephesians being so God-centric, even John 14, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, mm-hmm. that will I do, that the yeah. Father may be glorified in the Son. That last phrase, I mean, sounds like another way to say that my will, sure. the Father... May be glorified in the Son, be done. Mm. That's how His will was accomplished. So now we have five to three, right? So <laughs> we've got five that well, we get. When you start it. looking at things, yeah. scripture interpreting scripture, mm-hmm. that's when things start to come together. Amen. You can't pick a coffee cup off the shelf at Hobby Lobby and pretend to know God. Yep, that's exactly right. Sorry. <laughs> If we ask according to His will, He hears us. Not like, I want this new Ferrari. I want to go pro. Mm-hmm. Da da um, we need to pray biblically, and we need to pray expectantly, but we never need to pray presumptuously. Mm-hmm. And um, what presumptuously means, I, I hope I'm not speaking over anyone's head here, but just for the benefit of the listener, um, it's just it's it's praying as if I have something that God owes me. God owes me this. I, I can make demands on God. Right? We should never go to God thinking that He owes us anything. Like, God, like, I want this, this, and this, and, I mean, you got to give it to me because I'm me, you know, and you're loving and, and gracious and all of that. So, just give, give me what I want, and, and we'll be okay, right? Yeah. Like, that, that's not how we need to pray. You're a, good, you're a barter. Guy. Yeah. Or, if I, or God, if I do X, Y, and Z, then surely you'll give me this, right? I mean... I think that's a young faith. I remember doing that, like, junior high, maybe, like, oh, like... Can you just do this one thing, please? I promise I won't miss church for like a solid right. month. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, right. Just the immature, like, please, please, please. God is a butler, right, in that mindset. God exists to give me whatever I want, and God forbid that he try to tell me how I ought to pray or how I ought to think about something. So pray biblically, pray expectantly. It's okay to make our requests known to God, right? Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. First um, Peter Five for the sake of the listener, I want to make sure I get this citation right. I used to have it memorized, but my memory is going bad. Um, First Peter five seven, <laughs> cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. First Peter five seven. So um, pray biblically, pray expectantly, make your request known to God, but never pray presumptuously. And when I think of like the health, wealth, and prosperity movement. When I think of the charismatic movement, when I think of the name it and claim it movement, the emerging church, the sound of that. these, the, yeah, the, the, these are the very attractive groups out there that 
They've got big churches. They've got big payrolls. They do a lot of flashy events. they got famous people identify with them. But ultimately, there's no spiritual life. And let me just say this, just to be clear. Just because you've got a wealthy church, just because you have a lot of people in the building, just because you have really cool events, that does not mean you're honoring God, does not mean you have God's favor. Um, some, of the, some of the worst groups out there have... A lot of money, a lot of people, and they do a lot of really cool events. Yes, I. And then, and then Brittany. Like, if you, the reason why they're so famous, like just listen to the names of those uh, movements. Sounds good, right? Telling you what you want to hear. And like, it's human nature to hear what you want to hear. That's why they're so exactly. Famous yeah. Famous if it suits it. your agenda, then naturally people want that. It is so rare to see a big church that preaches faithfully. They exist, obviously, they're out there. But, I mean, it, it's very rare if you're preaching deep, verse by verse, truth, week in, week out. You've got discipleship context. You've got outreach. You're firing on all cylinders. You've got a prayer meeting. Those churches are rare in our day. Because most people want, as Sai said, they want their ears tickled. They want to be told how great they are. They want God to be manageable created in his own image so um and i imagine too when a number of believers who have good intentions and are seeking all of those things the devil just sees that as a wonderful opportunity mm-hmm. to come in and cause division and fractionate that yeah. to lessen their effects on their community much less within their church right and i mean here we are yep we can relate to that, unfortunately. Sam, uh, Brittany, did you have anything that you wanted to say? You, you said claim it, and I wanted yeah. uh, I want you to expand on that because I have I I like that phrase, but only in the context of in Christ's name I will claim like um like if I want something to happen, you know, in Christ's name is that wrong? Like should I? I mean, it, it has been it has been abused. Uh, like and, I'm not gonna yeah. claim it like just because I speak it, it's gonna happen. That's no, how I, it's I'm been abused. Going yeah. Like, my God can do this, right. I'm going to claim it in his name. And, that, and I, I don't have a problem with that so long as the mindset is... It's just is, not is, in my yeah. own power. God, God has to be the one to provide, mm-hmm. and I need to make sure that that I'm okay with God having a different plan than, mm-hmm. than that. Because, you know, we, we can want something, we can claim something, but mm-hmm. God is the one who has to give it to us. Mm-hmm. And, again, I have no problem with that mindset, because we also... The danger of recognizing the sovereignty of God is your prayers start becoming a lot less expectant and it's just like, well, it's God's will. So God, I guess, you know, uh, your will be done. You know, uh, there has to be, and it's, it, there's a tension there because I think that's, that's what God's trying to get in our, in our minds. God is sovereign, but prayer is a means to accomplish his purpose. So you have to pray expectantly, but still recognizing that, Lord, even if this doesn't come to pass, I still trust you. I still am going to worship you and serve you. And I think as long as you have that balance, Brittany, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any issue there. Very good thoughts. We just have one more section, guys, and then we're going to wrap up. So 10, 15 more minutes, and we should be good. And then we'll go to the Lord in prayer as a group. I'm going to read this next paragraph. It's under the heading, Examples. Follow along here. Ryle writes that there are wonderful examples in Scripture of the power of prayer. Nothing seems to be too great, too hard, or too difficult for prayer to do. It has obtained things that seemed impossible and out of reach. It has won victories over fire, air, earth, and water. Prayer opened the Red Sea. 
Prayer brought water from the rock and bread from heaven. Prayer made the sun stand still. Prayer brought fire from the sky on Elijah's sacrifice. Prayer turned the council of Ahithophel into foolishness. Prayer overthrew the army of Sennacherib, or Sennacherib. I don't know how to pronounce that word, so forgive me, listener. Um, one of those weird names in the Old Testament. Um, well might Mary, Queen of Scots, say, quote, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. Prayer has healed the sick. Prayer has raised the dead. Prayer has procured the conversion of souls. The child of many prayers said an old Christian to Augustine's mother shall never perish. Prayer, pains, and faith can do anything. Nothing seems impossible when a man has the spirit of adoption. Let me alone is the remarkable saying of God to Moses when Moses was about to intercede for the children of Israel. The Chaldee version has, quote, leave off praying, Exodus 32.10. So long as Abraham asked mercy for Sodom, the Lord went on giving. He never ceased to give till Abraham ceased to pray, Genesis 18.32-33. Think of this. Is not this encouragement? I'm just going to finish the section here. What more can a man want to lead him to take any step in religion than the things I have just told him about prayer? What more could be done to make the path to the mercy seat easy and to remove all occasions of stumbling from the sinner's way? Surely if the devils in hell had such a door set open before them, they would leap for gladness and make the very pit ring with joy. But where will the man hide his head at last? who neglects such glorious encouragements? What can possibly be said for the man who, after all, dies without prayer? Surely I may feel anxious that you should not be that man, and surely I may well ask, do you pray? So as Ryle brings this section to a conclusion, um, this is the final question I want us to consider by way of group discussion amongst ourselves. There are some remarkable testimonies to the power of prayer throughout Scripture. We just saw many reference in this section. And yet, as seen from many of our own individual prayer lives, from many church, uh, many church prayer meetings that are throughout um, broader Christendom in America and even throughout the rest of the world, and um, in light of how the church views prayer as a whole, not just the lack of prayer meetings, but just the lack of really giving special emphasis to prayer, why do you guys think this has been something that's become so undervalued and so undermined in our day? Why the undermining and undervaluing of our individual prayer life, prayer meetings in the context of a local church, and really just prayer as a subject in the Christian life? Sai, what do you think, buddy? People don't want to confess their sins privately, so they definitely don't want to confess it publicly, so that's why most churches don't like the assisting churches don't have prayer meetings, so they don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's a good thought. I, th- I think there, there's that, that level of um, uncomfortableness in recognizing that we're not all okay. We don't really have our lives together because it's very easy to play a game, but when it comes down to doing real business with the Lord, whether individually or in a group setting where there needs to be repentance modeled in a group setting, that, that's hard. That's uncomfortable. And I think that could be a reason why we're, we're seeing an undermining and an undervaluing of prayer um, 
really particularly, I would say, in the West for sure. Any other thoughts on that? Laziness. Laziness. Because, like, we were talking about, like, at the beginning, like, you said you like to pray out loud, and we, like, all agreed that praying out loud keeps our minds from wondering, and so, or, like, even writing it down, I was telling Brittany this on Wednesday, like, I, I can keep my thoughts together whenever I write it down and see what I'm, see what I'm praying, and so I think that takes more effort to, to be intentional about it. Absolutely. And, you know, and... Today, like today's, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, I think I think I just to, to put a bow on what you're saying. Today's mindset, we're, we're so um, instantaneously driven. Yeah, we want exactly. things done in an instant. We want them down. We want them done yesterday. We don't want to have to wait. We don't want to have to labor and put through the work. When I speak out loud, that takes energy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take very much energy to let my mind wander, but to say what I'm trying to communicate to the living God in a way that's coherent, a way it's honoring to Him, a way it's biblical. Um, that takes work, and that's a process. So I, I do think laziness for sure would play a factor in that. Well, we want things instant because we glorify busy. Right. Yeah. That's and deep. Yeah, that's so good. Much, there's so much reward to living this busy life that's social media worthy. You know, there's there's not a lot of people out there glorifying faithful attendance to church, mm. faithful um, attention to prayer, you know, faithful study of scripture. There's so many people saying, like, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Yep. It's all I want is Jesus. That's all I want. But we don't know who Jesus is. We don't know how Jesus prayed. We don't know anything other than just this ethereal, you know, I just want Jesus. We don't even want words we might have to look up. We want the simplest version of BBS, whether it's for children or adults. We want it easy because we want to be able to begin and end our thoughts there. That's right. Don't want to put in the work, and, and that's laziness, as Hannah said. Um, you know, I, I, as good as y'all's feedback was, I think mine's mine's pretty lame. But I, I think they're. <laughs> I think mean, it's pretty great. I was no, oh, <laughs> no, I mean, no, 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 no. I was like, mine's even better. I think mine's. I think mine's. I think mine's got some truth to it. But y'all were y'all were wonderful. Here's what I put. I mean, I think. As I reflected on that passage in particular, that lengthy paragraph we just read by way of conclusion, we read of all these stories throughout Scripture and even throughout church history where God moved in power. I mean, it was unquestionable that God did a work, right? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have a temptation to think that, you know, I know God can do those things. I know He has done those things, but is, would He really do it in my life? Like, will he really answer my prayers in such a way where something like this would happen? And I think we, I think we have just a lack of faith, honestly, at times. I know I do. Um, like, when you're in a trial, and you've been praying about it for a long time, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. It might even seem like it's getting worse, right? Just, I think we lack the faith sometimes to press on to remind us of the promises of Scripture and to keep our eyes on the Lord, regardless of the outcome, because He's worthy in and of Himself. It doesn't matter if my prayer gets answered. I'd like for it to. We should all desire, as long as it's biblical, we should all desire to see God glorified through answered prayer. But ultimately, prayer, it's just worth it to come before God and to have that experiential awareness of my intimacy with my with my Heavenly Father. And... Um, 
You know, I think if we remind ourselves of God's limitless power, that he's infinite in power, he's infinite in knowledge, wisdom, he's sovereign over everything. If we keep preaching those truths to ourselves, kind of like we saw a lot of that alluded to in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, I think we're going to be propelled past those issues where we might be struggling with faith or we might be struggling through a difficult season of our lives. So that's my thought there. Um, I like y'all's a lot. I'm going to keep him back in, in memory when it when he talks about if I told you you wouldn't believe it. But yeah. I'm doing a work. If I told you you wouldn't believe it, you're just going to have to. It's like that song we sing, right? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. That's true. Like, it's so simple and it's it, it's replete throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. But we just view ourselves sometimes as. I mean, I'm just me. Like, I, I don't have that great of a faith. I struggle with this, this, and this. And, you know, like, my prayer life just isn't where it should be. But, guys, like, the, as we read, the, the spirit, the power of God working in us, right? Ephesians 3.20, that power of God that brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, that sanctifying us, that will raise us to new life in glory on the last day in the new heavens and the new earth. That same power is the one that answers prayer, that did all of those things we just read of from Ryle in reference to um, biblical history and church history. So I just think that's important for us to keep in mind, and um, at least that's what I'm going to be meditating on here um, throughout the rest of this week, especially um, in the weeks to come with everything we've got going on here at FBC Edna. But does anyone have any other thoughts or comments to make before we transition into our time of group prayer? Well, for the listener, we're going to now transition into our time of group prayer. I I pray you were encouraged tonight by our discussion and that you would be prompted to go and be with God in prayer. Um, Make your requests known to him. Experience the satisfaction that only intimacy with your creator can provide. I wish you nothing but blessings on your walk with the Lord. And um, stay tuned for our next lesson here in our study of a call to prayer. God bless.